Thank you. You may be seated. Man, great to see everybody here today. Glad that you are with us. Thanks to everybody who is watching online and uh, joining us uh, via our live stream. Thankful for you to be able to be here as well. Hope everybody um, had an okay time getting in. Uh, this weekend is proof that if COVID doesn't get you, T-Dot will. I mean, there's um, something going on there. Uh, it's just 2020, but hey, when it's all finished, it's going to be nice. At least that's what they told us years ago. So hopefully... Hopefully that's going to be the case, and, uh, but just be ca uh, careful and uh, safe as you're traveling and if you have to, especially go through the, um, the split there um, on your way home or wherever else you might be going. So we're so thankful again that, that you are, that you are here. Uh, at the conclusion of uh, this message, uh, normally whenever we come together at times like this, we, uh, we sing, we encourage one another, and we tell individuals, look, if, if you'd like to um, ask for prayer, if you'd like to come and let it be known that you'd like to be baptized because of your belief that Jesus is the Son of God, we, we usually invite people to come down. And uh, during these COVID times, that's not something that we are doing, but we want you to know that uh, Tim Edmonds, who's one of our elders, will be in our prayer room. Uh, it's just off of our lobby after our services, and if you'd like to speak with him about uh, anything that's going on, uh, your spiritual walk with our Lord, that you're welcome to do so, and uh, you'll be able to, uh, to meet there, um, and we encourage you to take advantage of that um, opportunity if you would like to. Also, as you are leaving today, you'll notice that there is a, a box on the tables that are outside if you'd like to uh, contribute to our ministries. We appreciate your uh, generosity and, and your giving, and we want you to know that that's available, and it can also be done it can be done online. Uh, if this is one of your first times with us, uh, we're in the process of trying to reboot things here. Um, as many uh, religious groups are trying to work through this as well. And so we have already had a group that has met and uh, praised God this morning and encouraged each other. Uh, we'll have uh, another group in our Family Life Center. In fact, people are just arriving right now. There's an Hispanic service that'll be uh, going on. Uh, over there and you guys are here and we have those who are watching online and so a lot of different ways in which we are doing our best to be able to come together and to be able to do it in a, a safe and healthy environment and we are so glad for you to come and to be here and to be a part. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Home for the Soul and we're talking about heaven and we're doing it because God wants us to be excited about what he has planned and what he has prepared for us. And what we have found is that when we talk about the subject of heaven, oftentimes we have this vague idea that there is something that is out there, but we're just not quite sure what it is. I mean, we've heard about heaven all of our life, but we've never really dug deep and looked at some of the things that Scripture has to share. And so that's what we're doing. We're allowing God to excite us, excite our imagination about what is to come. There was a couple who'd been married for 65 years. They ate healthy. They lived healthy. They did everything together. And one day they were, well, they were in a car accident and died. And when they arrived at heaven, as these stories go, Peter met them at the pearly gates and said, hey, I'm going to show you what God has in store. And he took the couple to this great mansion and he walked them through and said, this is where you will be living throughout all eternity. And he kept going from room to room to room and the old man said, yeah, but how much is this going to cost? And Peter said, no, you don't understand. This is heaven and it's all free. He then takes them out to the backyard that ran up against a golf course. And he told them, look, this is here for you to play whenever you want to. And each and every day, the golf course changes because no one gets bored in heaven. 
And so you're going to be able to come here and play. And the old man said, yeah, but where are the greens fees? He said, no, 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 you don't understand. It's all free. And you don't have to worry about tea times. Just show up whenever you want to, and you'll be able to play. They left there and went to the clubhouse. And there in the clubhouse was this beautiful feast that was spread out. And it was just food and food as far as the eye can see. And Peter told them, look, this is what you're going to be enjoying. This is what you're going to be able to eat. This is where you are going to be able to feast. The old man said, yeah, but it looks awfully expensive. And besides, she doesn't let me eat that kind of food anyway. Where is your low cholesterol and, and low fat table? And Peter said, look, you still don't get it. We're in heaven. It's free. There is no fat. There is no cholesterol. And at this, the old man just had a fit. I mean, he took off his hat, he threw it down on the ground, and he began to stomp on it. And Peter said, wait, what, what, what have I said? What have I done? Why are you so upset? He said, I'm not upset with you. It's her. Because if you hadn't given me all those bran muffins for the last 10 years, I would have already been here. <laughs> Some of you are living that, right? You know what it means. Look, I have no doubt that we are all going to be surprised by heaven. We are going to be surprised, but not, but not disappointed. You know, I've heard all of my life that heaven is greater than anything that we could ever imagine. Yet God purposefully invites us to imagine what heaven is going to actually be like. And I think this is crucial because we can only desire what we can imagine. Think about it. I mean, in other words, if you can't envision it, then you can't really look forward to it. So when you open up Scripture and you read about cities and you see about kingdoms and you read about gardens and resurrected bodies and you read about new heavens and new earth, well, I think each of these acts as a match to, to fire up our imagination and kindle our desire for heaven. These descriptions of the home for your soul I don't think need to be just easily dismissed as some kind of vague and just unapproachable analogies. Instead, I believe that we are intended to allow the intentional brush, the intentional brush strokes that were used by the author of Scripture to actually inspire our imaginations. Now, let me say this from the outset this morning. All the lessons so far in the series have been designed to whet your appetite. And while maybe I have presented them from a unique perspective and, and tried to make you think about the subject in a way maybe that you haven't before, the material in and of itself has been pretty universal. But beginning in today's study, I want to share with you some ideas about heaven that perhaps, that perhaps you've never considered before. And it could be that I share with you some ideas that, that you have perhaps been taught differently in the past. Now understand, you and I do not have to be right about what we believe concerning heaven in order to go there. And praise God for that. Now, we have to be right on Jesus, but we don't have to be right about heaven. And it's a good thing because, well, there's just a lot of competing ideas about heaven and what heaven is going to be like. The majority of our society, unbelievers and believers alike, have a, a generic, unidentified belief about life after death. And about what actually takes place, what is going to happen then, it varies significantly from person to person. It's kind of like we all sat down at this big smorgasbord about heaven, and we've all just kind of dipped our plates with a lot of different ideas. 
And some of these ideas came to you from your philosophy classes in college or from things that you heard in church growing up. Maybe it, was, it had to do with some things that were, were shared to you by your parents or there were co-workers or, or you read a series of books or you watched a movie or maybe you just tuned into The Simpsons and they showed you this is what heaven is going to be like. And as a result, the popular views about the afterlife are a lot more mythical than they actually are biblical. So whether it's reincarnation, where we supposedly recycle through life until we all get it right, or, or nihilism that says that everything just ceases to exist, which is certainly a nice tidy wrap-up to everything, but it really is unsatisfying. Or New Age ideas of, of us being absorbed into nature, and that we're here, and we're around, and, and we never leave. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe the Hollywood idea based on the writings of Plato that we are just roaming disembodied spirits going from one level to the other, flittering back and forth between clouds. Or perhaps the idea of purgatory where even then, after death, we are able somehow to get back into God's good graces and everything then will change. You see, in a, in a muddled world like this, we who claim to know Jesus can unwittingly trade off a sure and certain hope for a fuzzy, unsure optimism that somehow believes that things are just going to work out in the end. I don't really understand it, but there's going to be something there, and it might be a combination of, of what my parents told me and what I heard in college and the discussion that my roommates and I had and this great movie that I saw. But see, Christians, according to Peter, are to live with great anticipation. I mean, there's something that should spark our imagination. It's something that should give life to our souls. Because believer in Jesus as Lord and Savior, look forward to a priceless inheritance, Peter says, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled and, and beyond any reach of any type of decay and change. This salvation, he goes on to say, is going to be revealed on the last day for all to see. You see, I think that there are are special surprises awaiting the people of God. And occasionally, in the writings of Scripture, we're given just hints and we're given just little sparks so that we might be able to get excited. So here's what we're going to do. Just for a few more minutes, we're going to talk about a couple of the surprises that await us in heaven. And here's the first one. God's creation will be one day reborn. Now, this is going to be the focus of our, of our next study that we have, where the whole time is going to be spent on this particular idea. But I just want to kindle your imagination for a minute from a glossed-over text in Romans chapter 8. Because so go ahead and take out your Bible. Uh, the, the verses will be here on the screen, but take out your phone, whatever you want to use. And we're going to stay mainly there in Romans chapter 8 and look over some Scripture that oftentimes we just kind of rush through. You see, at the beginning of chapter 8, Paul says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he ends chapter 8 by saying, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So you have these crescendo moments there in chapter 8, and here in the middle of the chapter, here in the middle of the chapter, it talks of, of future surprises. So look at me beginning in verse 18. He says, yet what, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. 
Now, now pause for just a minute and, and take notice that the curse didn't just affect human beings. The curse of sin also affected all creation. Paul here is acknowledging that the cosmos is just all out of whack. Something has gone terribly wrong. Now keep reading, starting at the end of verse 20. But with eager hope, it says, with eager hope, the, the creation, the creation has been looking forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into this present time. Now notice how Paul is trying to use this imagery of childbirth to help us understand something that is very difficult to understand. And what it suggests here is that despite the radical changes that are going to be occurring, there is a continuity that takes place between the life that we currently live and the life that is to come. In other words, when Jesus returns, all creation isn't going to be annihilated and scrapped and, and then God is just going to start over from scratch. Rather, childbirth suggests that there is continuity between the world that we know and the world that is going to be far better that will be born out of this one. The creation is looking forward, looking forward to a new future, a glorious delivery, because Jesus' victory is going to redeem everything that has been affected and impacted by the curse. And so here Paul is trying to get us to see that what Jesus accomplished on the cross, man, it is so much more comprehensive than what we think. In our minds, when we think of Jesus and the crucifixion, oftentimes it centers solely on what that did for us. And we think about our personal salvation, and we think about us having a relationship with Jesus as Lord. What we fail to realize is the comprehensive nature and that the death of Jesus was designed to be able to set all things right. All things that were affected by the curse. God is not going to abandon his creation, but instead transform it from the raw material of the cursed creation. And you say, well, for what purpose? And why in the world would that take place? And, and what does that mean? Ah, come back next time, all right? I just want to get you thinking. I want to get you chewing. And come back next week, and we'll dive into this particular thought more. But until then, rejoice in the fact that God is going to redeem and God is going to renew and God is going to remake and God is going to renovate every inch of the universe. And understand and think about what the prefix re means. It's a return to the original. A return to the original condition that was ruined or lost. And now this brings us to the second surprise. And some of you are really going to love this one, all right? Surprise number two. You are going to receive a renewed body. And all the men in the room say, praise God. Right? I mean, there was a time where men used to look in the mirror. I mean, you ladies still do. You ladies will spend time in front of the mirror, and, and you'll look, and, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll fix your hair. And, and, and guys, man, we stopped looking in the mirror long ago. We did. Because what we saw, we didn't like. Notice what Scripture says in Romans chapter 8. Verse 23, and we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised us. Now these current bodies of ours, cursed by sin, is su they're subject to decay. But, but this 
Because of this, we're not able to inherit the kingdom of God. These bodies are not able to experience the glories of heaven. But our hope is not simply to be delivered from these bodies. Our hope is to be delivered into our new bodies. You see, I fear that we have slipped into possessing a hope that believes that the real you is simply a, a disembodied spirit. The real you is a disembodied spirit and that your body is disposable and temporary, kind of used like a hermit crab uses his shell. You see, a result of blending the writings of Plato and the teachings of Christianity is to come to the common tendency where we just spiritualize heaven. But you see, we are saved not as souls, but as holes. Scripture says that when we die, the dust returns to the earth as it once was, and the the Spirit returns to God who, who gave it. Heaven is not merely a future place. Heaven is a current dwelling, is the realm of God. We're not able to see it. We're not able to experience it here and now, but it is currently existing. And at death, our spirit goes to the present heaven, I believe, to be with God. But here now is where I want you to, to chew for a minute. But I believe that is just a refreshing and temporary halt on the journey. It's not the final resting place because our ultimate hope still anticipates our bodily resurrection that is yet to follow. Biblical scholar N.T. Wright notes that the early Christian future hope centered firmly on the resurrection. The first Christians did not simply believe in life after death. They virtually never spoke simply of the idea of going to heaven when they died. I want you to think about this. As you go through and read through Scripture, look and search for opportunities where you find the people of God talking about going to be in heaven. Think about Paul as he was in a jail writing to the Philippians saying that he was torn between the two to remain and to encourage them or to leave and depart, and he says, and to go and to be with Christ. To go and to be with Christ, to experience something there. And then as you read Paul's writings, you see that there is this forward looking to a time where this life would end, but there would be a resurrection that would be experienced by the people of God. Wright continues. When they did speak of heaven as a post-mortem destination, they seemed to regard this heavenly life as a temporary stage on the way to the eventual resurrection of the body. For all our desire, desires to make it to heaven, there's actually very little written in the Bible about going to heaven when we die. It's as if heaven, while providing us a hope and a focus for right here and now, was not intended to be the actual goal or the end game for the Christian. And, and maybe that's why Jesus, when he said, in my Father's house, there are many rooms, there in John chapter 14, Jesus used a word for rooms that meant temporary lodging. You see, at our death, we do not yet experience all that God has designed for us. Because even though our salvation is finished, it is not yet fully enjoyed. That moment will not come until our bodies, the bodies that we now have, have been glorified at the resurrection. See, I believe that we are saved to be raised. It is the end goal of every Christian. Not just to make it to heaven, but to live again. To live in a glorified state. Paul reminded the Corinthians who had bought into the teachings of Plato that when we die, our earthly cursed bodies are planted in the ground like seeds. You can read about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
And from this old material, he wrote that, that God will, in a stunning and glorious moment, ignited by the Spirit, raise each of us up with a new type of body, possessing new properties, just like Jesus. Now, he refers to these resurrected bodies as spiritual, but not in the sense that they are non-material. He's not talking about Casper the friendly ghost floating around. He's talking about spiritual bodies that are imperishable, bodies that are glorified, bodies that are powerful and renewed by the Spirit of God. I mean, remember what he told the Philippians. He said, we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we we eagerly, we are waiting for him to return as our Savior because he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same mighty power that he will use to conquer everything everywhere. Paul is telling us that God is going to redeem us body and soul. He is going to redeem everything that we are. And in fact, I think this is the point of Easter. Think about all the excitement that comes on around Easter time as we, we think about the death, we think about the, the burial, the resurrection of, of Jesus. But it is more than just celebrating the fact that Jesus had a bodily resurrection and came out of the tomb. The resurrection of Jesus was a signal that God's new creation had already begun. That God had broken into this cursed world and he had set in motion the reverse of the curse. And when we come together and celebrate at Easter, we are celebrating the fact that what happened to Jesus ultimately will happen to us. And that is a great hope. And that is something that should fill us with great excitement. But the question then comes, all right, well, what do we do until then? Well, we, we cope in this current age by, by groaning and, and by learning, leaning you see, Paul gives us permission to groan. It's the language of Christians. Now, this isn't griping, it's groaning. And I know, I know for a lot of you, the older that you get, the more you groan, right? I, I know that uh, for some of you, you know, you went to bed at 40 and then you woke up at 70. And somewhere along the line, you're like, what in the world happened? And you start making these strange noises the, uh, the older that you get. I know it was a few years ago that, that I woke up and um, I'm lying there in bed. Tanya was already awake. She was in the bathroom and, and she stepped back into the bedroom and she said, what, is everything okay? And I'm like, just stretching. Everything's fine. I'm like, why? He goes, you just made this weird noise. We groan, but that's not the type of groaning that, that Paul refers to. Rather, it's a groaning that we experience when we see our world in death and decay and atrophy. We see what's going on around us and we naturally deep down crave for everything to be restored to God's original intention for his creation. Our world is not evolving, it is devolving and it has been since the very beginning. And we look around and we see, and I know that there's all kinds of political debates going on right now about climate change and what's causing the different things that are going on within nature. And the, the answer to that is, guess what? It's all winding down. And it has been. And these are changes that come, and these are changes that go, and it's the earth that's groaning. The creation of God is groaning. And we look and see how relationships, relationships from the very beginning, when you have Adam and Eve all of a sudden blaming one another in the garden because, well, she gave me the fruit, and well, this is what he did. Well, all of a sudden, all the relationships begin to break apart, and you see what happens with Cain and Abel, and then it just continues on to the very unrest that we see going on in our nation and our world today. 
Our world is groaning. And we groan because we want God to set things right. Don't we want for racial tensions to end? Don't we want for this earth to be calm? We want God to come and say, that is enough. I mean, you've experienced that with your own father, right? There have been moments where you've kind of pushed the line and you've gotten closer and closer to the edge and finally your parent comes and goes, all right, it's enough. And one day God's going to do the same thing and we're going to rejoice because finally the righteousness of God is going to be revealed. That's what we want. You see, we yearn for God's judgment. And when you read through Scripture, God's righteous judgment is presented as something that's a positive event. And so we groan for what we know is going to be coming. And we do this by leaning into the Holy Spirit that abides in each of God's children. You see, we are blessed to have the Holy Spirit come now and calm our fears. Right now, when we look around and feel hopeless because of this cursed planet. And the Spirit cements within us an unshakable hope about God's promise for a new heaven and a new earth. I want you to listen to what Paul said to Christians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and we sigh. It's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So what does all this mean? And we'll put things to bed. I know we've gotten into a lot of weeds and maybe brought up ideas that you haven't thought about before. And for those of you who are engineers who are out there, you want more specifics. It's like, hey, what's this body going to look like? And, and how tall am I going to be? And can I dunk? And what's going to go on? And, and, and exactly, you know, what's going to happen with the earth? And are the dolphins going to be there, you know? And what about the whales? Are we saving Shamu? What's going to go on and happen? Look, I don't understand the whole thing. I'm learning myself as I'm going through these different lessons with you. I'm trying to spark your imagination. But I hope that what you're beginning to realize is just how cosmic in scope the work of Jesus was on the cross. Through Jesus, God will redeem everything that was affected by the curse. And I'm afraid that we bought into this limited and weak theology of God where we actually see him as some thwarted inventor whose creation failed. And now he's like, well, <laughs> didn't see that coming. I guess I got, just got to scrap it all and start over. But hey, for some of you who have been really good, well, I'll save you from the coming fire. Guys, that's not the picture that Scripture paints. Christ's victory over the curse will not be partial. Death is not just going to limp away wounded, and God will not surrender one inch of territory to our enemy. There is not one molecule of this universe that will not fulfill the divinely appointed purpose for which it was created. There is not going to be one atom that will not submit to the sovereignty of God because there is coming a day when every knee is going to bow and declare that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The curse will be ended and there will be reconciliation between the visible and the invisible, reconciliation for body and soul, reconciliation for heaven and earth, so that God will be all in all. This is the Christian's hope. And it's why we are excited. And it's why we rejoice. And it's why we look forward to what is to come. Because one day, the groaning's going to be over. The, the, the groaning over 
COVIDs and the groaning over traffic and the groaning over loss and, and death, the, the groaning over just getting older, the groaning over just going through all the different things of life. It's going to be over, and the children of God are going to live again. And along with God's creation, they will enjoy heaven's salvation. And friends, I have no doubt that all who experience heaven are going to be surprised. And I also have no doubt that all who experience heaven will not be disappointed. Don't you want to go to the home for the soul? How about we sing and encourage one another, and then we'll close out our time in prayer.